0: So Luke 6, 17 through 19, the whole multitude was healed. He, Jesus, came down with them, stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to heal him and uh, to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. That's an important little word right there. In there? You see, let me give you a uh, background on what was happening. Jesus had been up on the mountain praying and receiving the Father's will for the days and the events which were to come. Now, how many of you know if Jesus needs to pray, so should we? Amen? Calling some of his disciples to himself after coming down from the mountain, he designated 12 of them as apostles. And afterwards, having come down from the mountain, they were flocked by a great multitude of people who had come to hear him and to be healed by him. So we want to look at a couple of different points, and starting with the first one is very simple. He came down. He came down with them, sat on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude, and who, who all came around to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Now, in a few months, actually next month, we're going to celebrate Easter. This is the time where we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. A few months ago, during the Christmas season, we celebrated the birth of Jesus, and during the birth of Jesus, we celebrate what we call the Incarnation. The Incarnation reveals that God came down to be with His people, but He didn't come down just to be with us. He came down to deliver us and set us free. Amen? So the Bible says in Matthew 123, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When he came down from the heavenly realm into the earthly, he did not leave heaven behind. Instead, he brought heaven with him. John 3.13, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Now, how did Jesus communicate with the heavenly realm? How did he communicate with the Father to find his will? Luke 6 and 12, it came to pass in those days that he went up to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer. So Jesus had gone up the mountain by himself himself specifically to pray. He was praying all night, seeking the Father's will. And how many of you know that disciples were impressed and uh, I'm not sure that's the right word, by Jesus' prayer life to such an extent that they said, teach us how to pray. In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, it says, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how many of you know that it, if Jesus is saying that we are to pray that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, it would behoove us to know what his will is. Right? What is the will of God for my life? Is the will of God that, uh, that we be in captivity? No. The will of God is that we be free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Is the will of God that we be sick? No. He went around doing good, healing all who were uh, oppressed by the enemy, for God was with him, right? I, 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 I still remember a lady that came in. She, she died. Um, and I'm not saying that if we had prayed for her, that she would not have ultimately gone to be with the Lord, but she was deceived into thinking that her sickness was given to her by, by God for the glory of God. And she wouldn't let anybody pray for her. And we finally, I think she finally relented and let us pray for her, but I don't think she really wanted us to. She just wanted us to get off her back. So we prayed for her, nothing happened. But there's one situation where uh, she was deceived into thinking that the Father's will was for her to be sick. And because she was deceived into thinking it was the Father's will, she didn't pray for anything contrary to that. So it behooves us to know what the Father's will is. And knowing what the Father's will is, the Bible says in the book of James, you have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall, seek and you shall, knock and the door shall be opened to us. Well, God knows what I need. He knows what you need. But he still said that our job and our responsibility and our privilege is to pray. But you got to pray according to his will. Well, what is his will? We just went all the way around there. So, and then Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, how many of you know this is not, uh, you can say the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's really more of a... Um, what? A model for you to follow, right? So when you say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you can say to yourself, what is God's will for my life? Is, and We just kind of went through some of that. But you can also pray, what is God's will for my family? And when you know God's will for your family, then you can begin to pray that God's will for your family would be done. A lot of times what we're not careful, if we <laughs> what we pray is, God, get me out of here. God, I'm ready to go home. God, you know, we, that's what we're praying instead of praying that God would begin to do something in your situation. See, see, we keep thinking that God, in our prayers, somehow we're thinking that God is incapable. But we have to get to the place where we realize that God is all capable. He can do anything. Well, I know he can do anything, but I'm not sure if he'll do anything. Well, that's where you got to know his will. And that's where you got to get into prayer, because it takes both. you got to know the will of God, and you got to have prayer to fuel the will of God so that the will of God can manifest in your life. That's probably not a good word to use, not, a, not the best word to use, but prayer is what is the engine, in a way, that activates the promises of God. And faith is the door that releases the promises and the power of God into our life, Right? So some people just kind of go along. We kind of go along. The church just kind of goes along and says, well, what are you going to do about it? I'll tell you what you're going to do about it. You're going to learn the will of God, and you're going to pray. And when you begin to pray with faith, not just praying ritual or out of rote, but if you're going to pray with faith, you'll begin to see the promises of God manifest in your life because all things are possible to those who will believe. <clears throat> Sorry, I need to calm down a little. Bit. And forgive us our debts. Yes, Lord, forgive me all my debts. Forgive us our debts. As we've forgiven our debtors, oh, no, 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 no. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom of the power and the glory forever amen well anyway let's move on when jesus came down from the mountain we see that he came down uh, uh to came down from his place of prayer with two things that our text kind of describes one he was enlightened as to who the 12 apostles were to be because he had a lot of disciples but he needed to know which ones were the ones that I needed to point to, to be with me to impart some things to them so that they can do the will of God that God has, that God has foreordained for them to do. But second, he was also, not that he didn't, wasn't already anointed, but it seemed like the more he went to prayer, the greater power that was released in his life. He was greatly empowered coming down from the mountain to heal the multitudes. And, and that brings us to our second point. He came down, but the second thing is they came to him. Luke six seventeen through eighteen. This is there's there's nothing uh, there's no theological uh, depth to this message. It's very simple. So don't be looking for like. But at the same time, the simplicity of God is profound. Amen. So Luke six seventeen and 18, He came down with them, stood on a level place with a crowd of His disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear Him and be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with evil, unclean spirits and they were healed. So who were coming to Him? The people were coming from all over. Jewish people were coming to Him and Gentile people were coming to Him. Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to the salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel bridges genders. There's only two, by the way. Male and female, it bridges that gap. The gospel bridges social gaps. Uh, The gospel bridges um, political gaps. It bridges... Uh, uh, economic gaps it bridges all gaps the gospel is for everyone anyone who hears the word of God and is willing to believe God can enter into the promise of God and receive the salvation of God and experience the power of God Jew or Greek see in that day that was the classification Jews has for for everybody You're either Jew or you were Greek you were a Jew or you weren't a Jew for the righteousness in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed by faith or from faith to faith or by faith for faith. It's another way of translate. Out of faith into faith. There's a bunch of different ways to translate that. For just as it was written, the just shall live by faith, or another translation is by faith the just shall live. Why were the people coming? They were coming to hear him. You see, in the previous passage in this chapter, we have another group of people that were coming to Jesus to hear him as well. But what you're going to find is the people in this chapter got different results than the people in the last chapter. Because in the last chapter, in Luke 7 through 11, it says the scribes and the Pharisees came to hear him, but it says watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. So they weren't coming to hear him because they wanted something from him. They came to hear him to find an accusation against him. How you hear determines what you're going to receive. If you will receive. Right? But he knew their thoughts. And said to the man who had the weathered hand, Arise and stand here. And he rose and stood. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it, he's saying to the ones that came to find an accusation against him, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to eat, to do evil, to save life, or to destroy We still get hung up with the Sabbath today. People still get, well, should we worship on Saturdays? The Bible says we have Sabbaths on Saturdays. If we don't worship on Saturdays, we're out of the will of God. And what happens is you get hung up on legalism. I'm not saying that we shouldn't obey the Word of God. What I'm saying is that, is that if you read the New Testament and you read it with eyes to understand, you'll find that the New Testament church weren't hung up on the Sabbath day. They worshiped on the first day of the week, and the first day of the week was on Sunday. But we still get hung up on religious ideas. And I want to tell you something, if you get focused on legalism and religious ideas, that's what you're going to see. And what you're going to miss is what Jesus is doing. What is Jesus doing? Saving and healing people. But you're not going to be happy about it because of how it's been done. If you're not happy about somebody getting set free because of how they got set free, then you just might be into legalism. I'm just saying. I know because I've been there. When I first got saved, I moved into that ditch. Thankfully, the Lord got me. Out of the ditch. There's another ditch on the other side, which is everything goes. No, that ain't right either. Okay, we got to walk the narrow road. So anyway, I keep going off on these tangents. Let's get back. All right. So when he had looked them, uh, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do, to do evil, to save life or to destroy? When he had looked around at them, all he said to the man, "Stretch out your hand." And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. By the way, I preached the message one time. Uh, what Jesus was asking him to do was something he was incapable of doing. He had a withered hand. Oftentimes, Jesus will ask you to do something you cannot do. Well, when he gives me the ability to do it, then I'll do it. That's not how it works. When he gives you the command, you do it, and when you do it, that's when you experience the power to do what you could not do just a moment before. So anyway, Jesus said, stretch out his hands, and he didn't say, I can't, and he didn't say, I won't. He stretched out his hand, and when he did so, his hand was restored as whole as the other. Verse 11, but they were filled with rage. Instead of being happy about that, they were angry, and they wanted to find a way, and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. Why? Because he wasn't doing it the way they thought it should be done. Fine, heal the sick, but don't do it on this day. Do it on another day. Don't do it this way. Do it that way. It's amazing that we, the creature, want to tell the creator how he's supposed to do things. Unlike the Pharisees and the scribes, this group of people weren't coming to hear him, to receive from him. They came to hear him, to find fault in him, to judge him. And, uh, and as a result of that, what they got out of the experience was different than the next group that came to hear him. The group that, that we're looking at, they were coming to receive the word, and in receiving the word, they were also receiving healing. First, so subpoint under this, they came to hear the word, Joshua 1 and 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, not before, but then, you know, buying a Bible is a good thing, but it won't help you if you don't read it. Right? Now, I want to tell you something. Every once in a while... I have this ability to focus on something, and I could be focusing and thinking about something, and you can be talking to me, and all of a sudden I realize I didn't hear a word of, of anything you said, and, I, and I'm praying. It drives me to prayer, God help me to get out of the situation, because I don't want them to know I didn't listen to a word they said. <laughs> you can read your Bible and not be in your word at all. You can be somewhere else. You can be thinking about what you got to do today. You can be thinking about what's going on today. You can be thinking about anything but what the Word of God is teaching. You've got to learn how to get in the Word of God, read the Word of God, and meditate upon the Word of God. Right? You shall not depart from your mouth. And not only... This, so, so what's he telling Joshua as well? you got to learn how to speak it. Right? Meditate upon it so that you may observe to do it. Because learning is not learning until you do it. Information is not the same as impartation and obedience and heeding what it says. It's not the same. We live in a culture today where the more information, it kind of irks me when I I see these shows and they have these people that are really good at memorizing facts. And I'm not against that. I think it's wonderful that they can do all that. But that doesn't make you smart. It doesn't make you wise. It doesn't necessarily make you an individual that that has a, a grasp of the information. It just means you have a capability to memorize. You have a capability to remember. But that's not really the premium here, although that's important, is more than just getting it in you, you got to get it into your hands and into your feet and into your mouth because out of the heart the mouth speaks. It's got to get in here and come out here. Right? Be angry and sin not, the Bible says. I want to be with you the next time we get in a traffic jam, the next time somebody cuts you off in traffic. They want to see whether or not what is in here made its way down here. or And what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your hands. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right. Psalms 107, verse 19. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their... Hebrews 4 and 12. I don't know why I put that one in there. But we'll go to this one. Hebrews 4 and 12. The word of the Lord is living. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Romans 10, 14 and 17. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. They came to hear the word. And they also came to be healed. There's nothing wrong with coming to the Lord to be healed. People heard that he healed. What do you do when you find that Jesus, you you go to be healed, right? Jesus is moving. How do you know he's moving? People are getting saved and they're getting healed. Well, I'm going down there. What are you going down there for? Well, I want to go down there and, and prove that these people are false prophets. I want to prove that this is false. I mean, people, it happens all the time. All you, listen, listen, I'm telling you, some of y'all need to stay away from YouTube. Or stay away from some of the people you're listening because there's a bunch of people on YouTube that all they want to do is point out who the next false prophet is. Their focus is wrong. And you're going to get caught up in that. Don't do that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. People make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. You know, the definition of perfection is somebody that is like me. If you look up perfection in the Bible, your picture will be in there. Whoever's looking it up. Do you understand? We judge people based on what we believe and what we think. If it doesn't match what I believe and what I think, then it ain't right. Right? You're a false prophet. You're false this, you're false that, why? Cuz you don't believe what I believe, you don't walk the way I walk, you don't think the way I think. Therefore, you're a false prophet. We can't go there. We can't go in that direction. We can't do that. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for the body. All it creates is division. People are in different places. Uh, what I believe today, I didn't necessarily believe 10 years ago. Right? 10 years ago, if you were judging me 10 years ago, you might have said I was a false prophet. Some people might think I'm a false prophet today. It doesn't matter. If I don't match your way, I don't match what you think, I'm going to put it into a box that you've created, and in that box you're going to say, well, Scripture says, you know, but my Scripture that I read says something different. It says I just interpret it differently. And so we have to be careful. There is room. See, see we can't live judgmentally. We need to live under grace. And even if somebody's off base, they can be wrong without being false. You understand? I'm going to tell you something. There are times, many times, when I'm wrong. How do I know it? Because I say something, and I said, I'll go later, and I said, I don't think I agree with that. (laughs) I don't think I agree with what I said. I think I'm going to have to change that. I'm going to go back and I'll do some study and I'll come to a different place or whatever the case may be. We're all in the process of growing. We've got to be full of mercy and grace toward one another, not just in this body but with other bodies as well. We can't be judging people. It's, it's not, I'm not saying that there's not a place to determine whether something is totally wrong. We're not saying that at all. What we're saying is a lot of the things we get calling people false prophets because we're getting into the minutia and not staying with the major things. Anyway, let me get back. Got on another tangent there. Okay, so why did they came? They came to be healed. Why did they come? They came to be healed. First of all, they came to be healed of their physical infirmities, Luke six seventeen, He came down with them, stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Not only did they come to be healed of their physical infirmities, they also became to be healed or delivered from their unclean spirits, Luke 6, 1 through 19, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power and went out from him, and he healed them all. Now, I want you to notice that in this particular passage, I know there are other passages that say it a little bit differently, but in this particular passage, those who were being tormented with unclean spirits were coming to Jesus. They were coming to him, and they were being healed. What does that tell us? First of all, it tells us that those that are being tormented by unclean spirits know it, and they want to be free from it. Second it tells us that they have the power to get themselves to Jesus. Do you remember the Gerizim demoniac? 2,000 or legion of demons inside of him, but yet he was able to run to Jesus and bow down before him. It wasn't the demons that ran to Jesus and bowed down before him. It was the man. Right? So it doesn't matter how tormented you are, what I'm saying is that you can still get to Jesus according to this passage, all right? So the context suggests that they're coming to him, not that they're being brought to him against their will. This is important. The practice of setting people free reveals that it only works when people want to be set free, and they take steps to do something about it. Well, let's just go set everybody free. Well, that's a great thing to do, but people have free will, and God honors free will. And you might be able to run something out of the house, but if the person wants it back in the house, it's coming back in, and Scripture teaches us that if you run it out and it comes back, it's going to bring some friends with it. Right? All I'm trying to tell you is that we can be zealous to do the things of God, but we still have to be wise in how we do the things of God. The power of God is with us to set people free, and we will see people free but there also has to be a corresponding part on the person that needs to be set free, that they want to be set free. Do you want to be set free? You'd be surprised how many people like this lady. Do you want to be healed? No, I do not. am Am I telling you the truth? You were right there. I don't want to. I don't want to. And you'd be surprised how many people don't want to let go of their stuff. It makes them money. They're comfortable with it. They don't want to, they're not sure how they would react. But there's plenty of other people that say, yes, I want to be free. Go for it. Amen? If they are forced or coerced, while there may, may be some measure of freedom that is obtained, it will most likely not be long-lasting. Mark 5, 1 through 6. I already, I already, I already kind of mentioned that, the gathering demoniac. Let's go to Luke eleven twenty four through 26. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it sweat and, and put in order, but not filled. Right? You see, some people want to be free, but they don't want to fill the house with Jesus. And that's not a good place to be either. Right. do you want to get saved no i want to get set free but i don't want to get saved right then you have to follow the leadership of the holy spirit because it might be that when they get set free then they want to get saved we don't know i'm just saying let the lord lead you it's not just it's not all just cut and dry okay so then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter and dwell there and the last save of that man is worse than the first so third point they were all healed by him there there are inherent in this statement, that they were all healed by him, some characteristics of God that we would be wise to bring out. First of all, God is good. He is good. Psalms 106 and 1 says, Praise the Lord, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus with Nazareth for the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good. So he is good, and he does good. Yeah, there's many other scriptures. I'm, I'm thinking right now, the rich man that came to Jesus, and he said, um, heh, what? Yeah, Yes, uh, but he didn't say good man. He said yeah, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? He said, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. I believe, this is my own personal opinion. Again, I have the mic, so you, when you preach, you can do it your way. But when I was reading that, I believe I, I kind of saw something, that when the man came to, to the Lord and he said, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. I believe that Jesus was kind of, do you see something in me? He was, he was probing him. Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. Do you see God in me? Is, I believe, what Jesus was asking him. Because there's only good, one good, and that is God. And it's amazing that Jesus, who's the, who's the expression, the exact representation of God, the expression of God, the visible manifestation of the Word of God in this world, went around doing good. I want you to know that theologically, reasoning about God, about the world, does not compute if you don't have the fundamental understanding that God is good. Everything that you reason theologically about God, about the world, must be based on the goodness of God. Has to be. Everyone has presuppositions. I don't have any presuppositions. Yes, you do. There's no such thing as a person without presuppositions. We come to we come to the table with something. We may not recognize we come with something, but even if you go and, and ate today, we had uh, we had to style this today, and if you didn't like tostada, just fold them in half and they're tacos. Then it works. <laughs> but you come to the table with preferences. Because some people don't like style this. Some people don't like the spices. Some people don't like these things. So you may not think you have preferences, but you do have preferences, right? Oh, I'll eat anything. Well, let's find out if you'll eat anything. What you may find is that you'll eat almost anything, but you won't eat everything because you have preferences. Well, in in the way we think and the way we live, we might not recognize them, but we also have presuppositions. And that we've got, to, uh, uh, we've got to set as a foundation for everything that we do, God is good. Second thing is, not only is God good, but God is willing. I touched on that a little bit before. Matthew 8, 2-3, a leper came and worshipped Jesus saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. See, a lot of people believe that God makes people clean. They just don't necessarily believe that they'll make them clean. I don't know if I have the faith. I don't know if God knew what I was, what I did. Well, he does know what you did. It's called omniscience. He knows everything. He knows the hairs on your head. He knew what Adam did. Well, why did he go into the garden and say, man, where are you? Because he was looking for man. He knew what he did, but he was working with Adam, trying to get Adam to come forth and to run to him, not run away from him. God doesn't ask questions to find out information. He already knows. In his questioning, he's teaching us things about himself and teaching us how to reason as well. Right? So, uh, God is willing. It, 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 Jesus put out his hand and said, I, remember I said, Jehovah Jireh is, I am your provider. Jehovah Uh, Shalom is I am your peace. Jehovah uh, uh, Rapha is I am your healer. That's what I'm saying. And to me, even though it's not really I am is what God used to call himself. It's what Yahweh, Jehovah means. It's kind of like he's saying my name is willing. You don't have to wonder whether I'm willing or not. I'm willing. I said, Pastor, can you back that up? Yeah, it says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. He said, for all the promises of God are yes, to which we say amen. That means we come into agreement with it. and We say, so be it in my life. Right? So God is good. God is willing. The next thing we need to look at is God is capable. He is more than enough. Mark 6, 41 through 44. And he, when he taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. And so they all ate and were filled. It reminds me of the wedding at Cana. Remember, they've run out of wine. What are we going to do? She goes to Jesus and said, they've run out of wine. Woman, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> and then she tells the servant, whatever he tells you to do do it she was convinced that he was capable we're not always convinced that he's capable because we didn't we weren't there when he spoke the universe into existence we came to believe uh, that uh, the universe came into existence by, by, into existence by natural means. We don't necessarily believe that God spoke it into existence. If you saw and witnessed the power of God, you, you, it would blow your mind. What we see, when we see people getting touched and healed, that's the power, that's amazing, that's awesome, but it's just an inkling of his power. The Bible says he holds the universe in the palm of his hands. God is more than enough. He took two fish and five loaves of bread. Can you do anything with that? Watch what I can do. He broke it and he fed 5,000 men. And that's not including the women and the children, right? The Bible says in Exodus 15 through 26, For I am the Lord who heals you. When he says, I am the Lord who heals you, he does not say, I was. Sorry, you caught me. It all ran out. I was. If you'd have just been the person right in front of you, you'd have got it, but I was. No. Doesn't matter if you're the first person in line. Doesn't matter if you're the last person in line. It doesn't matter if you're going to be born a thousand years from now. It's not I was, it's I am. I am willing, I am capable. All things are possible to those who believe. And he doesn't say, I will be, come back at a later time. doesn't say that. I am. He's present tense. I am. He doesn't say he is until he runs out or runs dry. He says and continues to say for all eternity, I am. Here it is. I am the Lord, your healer. So it doesn't matter when you come or where you are in line, He is still saying, I am. I am your provider. I am your healer. I am your peace. I am your banner. I am your shepherd. I am your righteousness. And I think there's one more. I am your peace. I am all these things to you. I am not. I was not. I will be. I am. Well, I don't have any peace. Well, I am peace, and I live inside of you. I, I'm not. I'm not well. Well, I am your healer, and I live inside of you. Well, you know, I'm. I, I'm. I'm lacking in, in in provision. Well, I am your provider, and I live inside of you. Right? It always reminded me of that. I've told it before, but some of y'all are new. Is that? Uh, Listen, I, 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 do, I do some things well, but I don't do everything well. Any of y'all find yourself in my situation? Yeah? Can you all say the same thing? Right? We do some things well. We don't do all things well. If I open up the refrigerator, I'm not eating well. not going to do it. But if my wife opens up the refrigerator, I'm going to eat good. Because I do some things well, but that ain't one of them. All right. I haven't always been real good with money. I'm not saying that uh, I haven't taken care of my bills and all that kind of stuff. I just didn't always do a good job uh, putting up for the future. Just didn't do that. And um, when you're in ministry, you think different. You should think long term, but you tend to t- think short term. We're not going to be here long because of the conditions. Anyway, we won't go there. So anyway, I was lamenting our our situation and what our future was going to look like, and, and you know it just didn't look as rosy as it should. And and I was just kind of I was kind of going down a road, you know, and, and, and I said, well, Lord, and the Lord spoke to me, and He said, Rick, what's my name? And I knew I knew where He was leading. I said, Jehovah Jireh. What does that mean? I am your provider. I said, am I your provider only when you do things well? No. Am I your provider only when you put everything you're supposed to in your 401k or you make the right choices in your stocks? No. Am I your provider when you choose well when it comes to CDs and bonds? Am I your provider only then? No. I'm your provider. I knew what you were going to do before you ever did it. I knew that you weren't going to make the right decisions, but I am your provider. You see, we tend to think, oh, man, my life is messed up because I didn't do it right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take care of these things right or I didn't do this right or didn't do that right no I am does not minister to you based on how well you did he ministers to you based on faith regardless of my condition God is here blessed are the poor who says blessed are the poor the Lord why because I am is here we want to say, blessed are you who put things aside and thought about your future and put everything where it needed to be. Blessed are you. And you know what? That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not in any way saying that. But we tend to think that that's how God thinks. No. God is your provider whether you did everything right or not. And he spoke that to me. He said, I knew you were going to do stupid things. <laughs> I think he actually did tell me that. Huh? but I am your provider. What do I got to worry about? I'm not saying I don't try to do better and we want to do better. And it doesn't give us the freedom to go and just do stupid stuff. And, 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 and not, it doesn't give us that freedom to just do that. But what I'm saying is that no matter what you've done, I am. Well, I hurt myself by doing something stupid. I am your healer. I don't heal you based on whether you did something smart or not. I heal you because you come to me in faith and you believe my word and you believe my promises. I kind of put myself that first person there, but you understand what I'm saying, right? When Jesus came down from the mountain, we see that he came down and he was greatly empowered to heal the multitudes. Unlike the Pharisees and the scribes, this group of people were not coming to hear him to find fault in him or to judge him. No, they were coming to hear him so that they could receive from him. They were coming to receive the word he was teaching, and they were coming to receive healing for their sicknesses and deliverance for their, uh, for their torments. What we see is that for all those who came to him with faith, Faith to receive, recognizing that he had something they needed. And that's the other thing you have to recognize is that Jesus has something you don't have. And Jesus has something that you need. You have to see that. Because if you just come out of curiosity, that's not faith. But when you realize that you can come to receive, then you can have faith to believe that he has, and if you can, and your faith can increase to, to the point where you realize that he will. What we saw is for all those who came to him with faith to receive, because he is good, he is willing, and he is capable, they positioned themselves to receive from him, and they all received. All. What the Bible says. Well, I believe the Bible. I believe what it says. I believe every single word in the Bible. Well, that word all is in the Bible. But I don't know. But He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What that reveals to us, since God is the same, is that God is not a respecter of persons. If we will come to him just like they did with faith to receive, we too can experience healing for sicknesses and diseases and freedom from our torments and and, uh, and experience like they did the goodness of God, the willingness of God, the power of God, the capability of God, changing our situation because God's desire is that things would be on earth, in our lives, in our families, in our homes, in our finances, in every situation in our life, in our sick, in, in our Bodies that, that are tormented with sickness and disease, God's desire is that heaven would touch them and you would be saved, healed, delivered, and set free. It's not hard, it's not a hard message, but it's true, right.